And this morning we're going to talk about relationship with the Word. Relationship with Jesus Christ through the Word. Can we just have the next slide, please, and the one after that? I'll, we'll come, come to that one soon. Before we get to that, I want to talk about why is, why is Jesus called the Word? I don't know if it puzzled you. It always used to puzzle me. I mean, Jesus is Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet the Bible calls him the Word. It says in John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says in verse 3 of that, All things were made by him, and without him nothing that was made was not made. And what that says is that there's nothing that you can see that wasn't made by Jesus Christ. Everything, the world, the seas, the animals, the mountains, the clouds, they were all made by Jesus Christ. And as it goes on in verse 14, in the word, that's Christ, was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. The only begotten. He was the only one begotten of the Father. And he was full of grace and truth. And so Jesus is called the Word. And if we go back to, back to Genesis, in the beginning God created. And it says God spoke. And it says there was nothing there. And by the Word of God, things became. There was nothing there. And God spoke. And it came to being. And so one of the reasons Jesus is called the Word is because he was there right at the beginning, and through him and in him all things were created. And so when the word of God went forth, things happened. Things became. And Jesus was that word. because He was there in the beginning and did create all things. In verse 3 it says, all things were made by him. The word was spoken and they came into being. And so Christ is called the word. And so then we say, well... So Jesus Christ is the Word. What's this? And we call this the Word. But this doesn't look like Jesus Christ. But I tell you, if you read it, and you let the Holy Spirit reveal it to you, this reveals Jesus. This reveals Jesus. From the beginning to the end, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, God reveals himself to us through nature, we see the sun, moon, and the stars. And you can't help but see those and know that there's a God. You can't help but see the birth of a baby and know that there's a God. He reveals himself through our conscience. You mightn't like your conscience sometimes. Yeah, you've got a conscience. Every man and woman is born with a conscience. And that conscience is aligned to the ordinances of God. It's not aligned to their environment. It's not aligned to their culture. It's aligned to the ordinances of God. Every man and woman on this earth is born with a conscience. And that conscience has got a plumb line. It's true to God. And so when we do something, it pricks us. When we do something wrong, it pricks us. It says, don't do that. And you might say, be quiet. And you carry on. But you might also hear it and stop. 
And that's the revelation of God to us through our conscience. But there's two other ways, and more, and probably, well, they're all the same, but the two other ways that the Bible speaks about that he reveals himself to us. The first is through the law. To the Israelite nation, he revealed himself through the ceremonial law, through the moral law, the Ten Commandments. He revealed his nature to them. He revealed how he said he wanted them to behave and what he wanted them to do. But he was revealing his nature to them through that. They came to an understanding that God wasn't in the idols of the Philistines. He wasn't in the idols of the Canaanites. He wasn't in the idols of all the other ites. He wasn't to be made an idol, he said, but you are to obey my law. And he revealed himself that way to them. And the other way it says he revealed himself, by the word spoken by the prophets. So the prophets spoke the word of God. And in those days, and sometimes there was no prophet, and then sometimes there was, but they would go to the prophet. The kings would go to the prophet and say, what do you think we should do? Should we go to war or not? Should we do this or not? And they would listen to the word of God that came through that prophet. Sadly, they were false prophets, but that's another story. That's how God revealed himself to the word. But after Jesus, who came, and he fulfilled the law, how does God speak to us? He still speaks to us through nature. The sun, moon, and the stars has not changed. You see those, and you can wonder, and God will reveal himself through his nature. He still reveals himself through our conscience. But then it changes. No longer does he, well, he does reveal himself through the word spoken by the prophet, but there's a fulfillment of that. Not only is the word spoken by the prophets in here, but there's more than that that's in here. He speaks to us through the inspired word of God. This is the inspired word of God. All scripture was written under the inspiration of God. Sure, men wrote it down. They were right there and they were writing a letter. Paul was writing a letter to the Colossians, writing a letter to the Galatians. Wasn't him, wasn't his thoughts. It was God inspiring him to write it. And he wrote that down. And that letter went out and got collated under the guidance of God into the scriptures today. Why? Because he wants to reveal himself through the scriptures. And he went one step more than the Old Testament, which just had the word spoken by the prophets and the law. And he gave his Holy Spirit to be within us, who also reveals God to us. And the primary way the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit can use any way, because he's God. And he can use an event in your life to reveal God to you. But one of the primary ways he does is as you read the word of God, he takes that and he plants it in our heart. And he reveals it to us. And so I can read these words and they can just seem like dry old words. I might as well be reading a Mills and Boone book. <laughs> but not with the Holy Spirit within me. The Holy Spirit will take something and he'll just spark it. 
He'll make it alive. And you'll say, whoa, this book is speaking to me. For me, in my circumstance, I don't know whether I can believe it. And the Holy Spirit would say, be strong and of good courage. You can believe it. Be strong and of good courage. You can believe it. Because he'd say, you're mine. You are mine, he would say. He would say to you, I've loved you since the beginning of time. I know you. I know every bit about you. Nothing about you I don't know. He said, be strong and good courage. And let my will be upon your life. And know that I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's our God. I want to go to one scripture. We'll spend most of our time on this one scripture today. And if we could just turn to that one, please. Psalm 1, we've had it before. Psalm 1, just a bit of 1 and the rest of 2 and 3. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man or woman whose delight is in the Lord. Not who knows the Lord. Blessed is the man who knows the Lord is not the truth. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the truth. Now remember this is Old Testament time, so the law of the Lord is all they had. They only had the Old Testament as law. We have the full body of scriptures. Jesus Christ himself came and revealed God to us. He revealed himself in the flesh. But he's no longer here in the flesh. You can't show me Christ in the flesh. He's alive. And he's revealed to us through the word of God. So whose delight, and I can change that slightly, is in the law of the Lord, whose delight is in the scriptures. And in his scriptures, he meditates. It says day and night. And meditate means to meditate, to ponder, to roll over in my thoughts. A young man might meditate upon a girl. Thinks about her. Thinks, when can I visit her? I wonder what she'll say when I get there. Get up. <laughs> uh, he'll ponder. He'll have it in his heart all day. After he's seen that girl that he's going to maybe try to chat up and make an approach to. He'll keep thinking about her that night. Next day he'll think about her. And the Lord already meditates day and night. Day and night means that you are, you're given to that. I use the young man because when a young man falls in love, he tends to be start to be given to that task. And he pursues that task until he gets a yes or a no. I finally got a yes. <laughs> that's, that, 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 that's, what, that's what you find him. Meditating day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf shall also not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. We'll come back to quite a lot of those points. First one I want to start off with is delight. Whose delight is in the Lord. See, God desires to have a delightful relationship with us. See, he's God. And, and then if you're like me when I was younger, I saw of God as huge and way up there. 
on his throne. And I saw me down here, well, hardly deserving to live, and I'd maybe look up at God a little bit, but I'd look away. So I didn't really want to think God would even notice me. But that's not how it is. So God knows each one of us, and he delight, He wants to have a delightful relationship with us. It says in Psalm, the psalmist is writing, who's David. I didn't put this up there, but just listen to me when I read it. Chapter 18, verse 19. David's saying, God brought me forth to a large place. And he delivered me from mine enemies, he means, because he delighted in me. Oh, what a bold statement from David. But David says, I know my God delighted in me and he's brought me to this large place. He's brought me to this place of open fields and good crops. He's brought me and delivered me from the hands of the Philistines. And so I might reside here in peace because he delighted in me. But you know, delighted is a two-way street. See, love is a one-way street. God loves you, whether you are the foulest sinner or the best saint. He loves you. He loves you when you're sitting at home in bed all nice. And he loves you when you're doing something that's completely wrong. He loves you. And he says, my love will never fail and will never stop coming towards you. His love endures forever. And it's always consistent, and it's there all time, no matter what you have done, and no matter what you are doing. You know, he loves you even when you look at him and say, I don't care, and you continue on. He loves you. He continues to love you as you do that. But not delight. Delight's a two-way street. You see, it's like you've got children or grandchildren. I'm in the stage where I've got grandchildren. And the grandchildren come over. And depending on their mood, and they're children, so you forgive them for these things. And they can come into your house. Hello, come and give Papa a cuddle. No. (laughs) They want to either go back to their mum or they just got out of sorts that day or whatever. You don't know what goes through their minds sometimes. There's no delight there. Not from me. Sure, I love them. But there's no delight in the relationship. But if they come in and they run towards you and jump into your arms and give you a big cuddle and say, Papa, you are the best. There's a delight that goes on. And you delight to have that relationship and that child in your arms. And it's the same with adults. There's some whom we delight to meet. I'm looking forward to meeting them tomorrow. There's an expectation Can't wait till they arrive because we're going to have a good time together. Why? Because we harmonize together. We fit together. When we talk to each other, we talk respectfully and but joyfully and as a friend to each other. Delight in the relationship. But if the other side comes in and I don't want to be talking to you today, get out of my hair. They don't want to be a friend. Now you'll say something and they'll just say something quite the opposite. Just tear you down. They'll put a damper on it. There's no delight in that. When they've gone, you think, whoa, please, they've gone home. 
They were, they were a hard day today. So delight is a two-way street. He delights in us. Delight is enjoyable, vibrant, pleasant, pleasurable. It's sweet. Looking forward to your company. It's full of enjoyment. Laughter, harmony. We get along. But you see, he wants us to delight in him. And that's where the scriptures become so, so, so important. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But leaving aside the last bit, the first stands by itself. Delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will delight in you, I can say. Because it's a two-way street then. If you go to him expectantly, if you go to him and say, I'll fit in with you, I won't be doing those things you don't like. I will do the things that you do like. If you come to my house swearing every second word, I won't like it. After a while, I'll say something to you. I'll say something nice, but firm. Listen, when you're around in my house, can you please not use those words all the time? Why? Because it jars with me. And it's my house. <laughs> but if you, and then, but I don't know where I was going with that, but, but the lighthouse house in the Lord is a two way relationship. But uh, knowing each other well and wanting to fit in with each other, I want to fit in with the Lord. See, the Lord won't change, He doesn't want to fit in with you. Now, I don't mean he doesn't want to love you. He loves you. But God does not change. One bit. And so if I have a mouth that lets out the words every now and then, God doesn't say, oh, come in here, Daniel. I'll just be like you for a while. I'll hang out with you. Blankety, blank, blank. You, blankety, blank, blank. You. He doesn't talk to you like that. He does not change. He says, it jars, Daniel. Then it jars. Change your language. And then we can have delightful fellowship. That's what he says. That's how who he is. What happened with Abraham? Jacob. Jacob had a conniving heart. Jacob was chosen by God. He's God, declares himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But when Jacob was young and was growing, he had a conniving heart. Stole his brother's birthright. He came out second. He was a twin. He was second, but he wanted to be first. No problems to him. I'll help my mum. My mum will help me and we'll steal the birthright. It was all in God's plan, but that's beside the point. The motive of his heart was to steal it. And God had to take him for about 20-odd years through a journey and actually left him lame in the hip just to bring about that change in heart where he no longer was conniving. And God said, I can now delight in a delightful relationship with you. No longer do I have to worry about you running off and being conniving and running off and stealing this and stealing that that's not yours. And from that point on, he was a changed man and he had a changed name and he was called Israel. You might know the story of Jacob, but it was he stole his brother's birthright, but then he spent 14 years with Laban plus some more, and I think it was about 20-odd years until that event came when he wrestled with God and got a lame hip and he had a name change. And all that time, 
God had him there for that, I nearly say, sole purpose of changing his nature, letting him be changed. Delight yourself in the Lord. It's a two-way relationship. And therefore, if God doesn't change, and we're not in a delightful place, who has to change? You. Me. We have to change. And how does he change us? How do I change? Because I try to change. I try to do this. I try to do that. I try to eat less. I try to give up smoking. I try to, I try to not tell lies so much. Try so hard not to. And blow me down, a little lie slips out. How do I change? And there's two ways we change. I'll tell you why the need for change is that relationship with God. It says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As you think, that's what God classes you, that's who you are. You lie in bed at night and you think certain thoughts. That's who God sees. That's who you are. You go to bed at night and you think, man, I just want to kill my boss. Give me a chance, I'll run him over. The dirty dog, I'll kill him. Now, I'm not going to really kill him. That's my thoughts. God says, if you hate somebody, it's the same as killing him. That's why I hold you accountable. Or I go to bed at night and I think, whoa, that woman looks pretty nice. Wouldn't mind going out with her. And I'm a married man. God says, that's adultery. He says, you've committed adultery. I say, I haven't done anything. He says, you thought it. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I judge him on his thoughts, what's inside, not so much on his actions. There's a higher standard with God. So it's important what we think. And how do I change my thinking? Because that's important. This is no, this is no small matter. You know, they, there's a whole nation, there was three and a half million of them. And this is given to us for our instruction. It's a true story, but it's given to us for our instruction. They were in Egypt, and God said, I want to take you up to the promised land. That was about as far as here to Wellington is away. I mean, not too far. If I set you off to get to Wellington, gave you quite a lot of animals to take with you, you'd probably get to Wellington in a couple of months. 10, 10, 10, 12, 12 miles a day, 10 miles a day. You'd walk that with the animals. You'd be there in about three months. Took them 40 years. And you know what? All those above the age of 30, I think it was, it could have been 20, who thought wrong, died. They died. Why? Because they thought wrong. Because they had unbelief in their heart and they said, I do not believe our God, I believe this. God said, okay, then you die in the wilderness. And we said, oh, that happened to them. Not going to happen to me. Don't be too sure. Make sure you're thinking right. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So how do I change? How How do I think right? And it's, it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, um, 
Let your mind be transformed. Transformed what? By thinking like the world, by thinking like my old way. Let it be transformed into thinking like God. Why? Because I want to come before and have a delightful relationship. And when I come to have that delightful relationship and I'm thinking wrong, the relationship doesn't happen. So I have to change. I have to change my thinking. And so he says to us, if you read my word, now I'll go right back to that first bit. How do I change? And it's a two-way. How do I delight in the Lord? By meditating on his word day and night. And by meditating on his word day and night, I'll find myself starting to delight in the world. Why? Because my mind will start to be changed little bit by little bit, line upon line, Precept upon precept, little bit by little bit, I will start to change my worldly thinking and I'll start to have godly thinking. And as I start to have godly thinking, God says, whoa, that's good. We start to have a delightful relationship. As my little grandchild comes in in a sour mood and doesn't want to talk to me, no delightful relationship. Sure, I love her just as much. But as she changes her thinking to coming in saying, Papa, you're great to be with a delightful relationship occurs. i got to change for God, not him, to me. And so as I read his word, and you've all read his word and you've all grown tired reading his word. Well, most of you will have. Some of you won't have. There are more righteous ones amongst you. And you'll have read it some mornings and thought, I don't know. I don't even know what's written on those pages. And he ask you 10 minutes' time, what did you read? And you say, ooh, I'm not sure what I read. Gone in one ear and out the other, and it didn't even stop in my heart. Has anybody read the word like that? Somebody read the word like that. Well, I have at times. I wanted it to be alive to me, and it seems dead. And that's why God gives us the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit helps us as we read his word. And it won't be like that every time you open the word, whoa, whoa. No, no. There's a persistent. He says, you've got to seek for me. You've all played hide and seek. Do you find it straight away? Well, only when you're about one and a half years old and the parent puts it just in front of you so you can find it easily. Otherwise, you burst into tears because you couldn't find it. But when you really play hide and seek, you've got to go and look behind that curtain and it's not there and you go and look under that couch and it's not there and you go down to the garage, it's not there and you're looking and then you find it. And you're pleased you found it. And it took a little bit of effort to find, but you value it when you find it. And that's what God is like with his word. That's what God is like when he reveals himself. God could, right at the beginning of time, come and display himself to all mankind and says, this is who I exactly am. Boom, you can see all of me. Have a good look. Could have done that, couldn't he? He could do it every year appear on a mountain, Mount Zion, saying, here I am, have a good look, see my nature, look at the backside, look at the front side, full of grace and truth, you've seen it now, now go and obey. And the heart of man would not have been changed. God's way is we search him out. We seek him by reading his word. See, the other thing in the wilderness these Israelite nation that could have got there in about three months and took them 40 years. Every day, God gave them manna from heaven. The stuff that came down, this, I don't know, 
thin wafer-like stuff, they say, and it appeared on the grass in the morning and they went out there or on the desert and they gathered it up and it only lasted for that day. By the next day, it was gone off. And God did it for them to teach us that that, that's what the word is like. It comes down from heaven for you every morning. His mercies are new every morning. And we taste it. And it strengthens us. I got another one here. Can we just go on to uh, the, the picture one with the dogs? Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry about that bottom dog. I just did a bit of computer animation, so it looks like that. If you're a dog lover, it'll horrify you otherwise, but no, no, I fixed it. Um, but you know, we've got to be careful. I'm, I'm, I'm careful to say this to you because I don't want to, I don't want this to sound, sound negative. I want this to be positive. But we've got to be careful we don't see ourselves in a delightful relationship with the Lord. So I preached this this morning and said, you've got a delightful relationship with the Lord. And you say, yeah, that's okay for me. I'm in a delightful relationship. I don't need anything more. Read Revelations, chapters 2 and 3. There were seven churches. And five of them he all said to, but I have this. You're falling short. You're falling short. And he's speaking to churches here. He's speaking to real people in real churches. And he says, you're falling short. Some of them he's saying, listen, you're compromising. Some of them says you've left your love a little bit. You don't love me like you used to love me. Some of them say you've gone back to your old ways. Some of them says you're listening to these other theories. And he says you've gone yourself into sexual immorality. Talks about Balaam and Balaam and Balak. But that's what it means about getting into sexual immorality. You've gone and gone those things. And you've, you've accepted it. And, says, and then he says... I'm going to have to let you go or I'm going to have to bring this upon you so that you will return. He says, if you don't do it. So the danger is that we can see ourselves like that top dog. I'm okay. I'm sitting in a nice pile of straw. I'm warm. I'm well fed. I come along here and Pastor, Pre- Pastor Peter preaches. Good word, I can hear that. We have gets-togethers. We have women get-togethers. We have men get-togethers. We're fine. I'm okay, Jack. I don't know what this guy's preaching at us for like this. But God might be looking at you and seeing you like the bottom dog. How can God look at me like that? What right has he got to think I'm like that? And the reality is, read the seven churches. I'm not going to read them all. I'll read one. Revelation 3. Revelation 3 to the church of Laodicea. And this is from Jesus Christ himself. He appeared in a vision to John. He said, write this down. It's a revelation given through Jesus Christ. And under the angel of the church of Laodiceans write. And I'm just going down. Uh, He says, you're neither lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm, he says. Because you say, I'm rich, and I've increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. God says, you think you're doing okay. 
But he says, I, I just see you as poor, miserable, blind and naked. You see, unless you, unless you have a re- delightful relationship with God, unless you have a delightful relationship with God, I can assure you, you'll have a poor, miserable life. And that sounds terrible coming from me. You think, oh, he's looking at me when he's saying that. No, 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 I don't mean you in particular if I look at you. But it's the truth. I believe that God is saying to me this morning, stir the people. Because times are such. I look around and I, I opened a paper the other day. And there on the Herald was a couple who were both men adopting a child. And God spoke to me and said, as in the last, the last days will be like as in the days of Noah. And wickedness will come upon this earth. And you know, the first thing I thought of was, Lord, they're okay. They're probably loving that child. And God said, it's an abomination to me. And so my thinking's got to change. My thinking has to change. Because I genuinely, for a little while, said, They'll love that child. They'll raise that child. They've probably got more money than I've got, and they'll be able to look after that child and raise it. I said, it's not about that. It's about me and my standards and what I want. Me, he says, it's an abomination. And he says lots of things are abomination. He gets right down to even gluttony. He's not good. Not only not good, he hates it. He hates it. What? God doesn't like me piling my plate up and eating it all up every day? He says, it's your motive inside. It's your motive. Doesn't like me getting drunk. Doesn't like it. He says, I don't like it. I don't like it, says God. You can't have a delightful relationship with me when you're drunk. You can't. And I can tell you, you can't have it if you're acting like an ogre at work. Ogre being a giant, being a bully. You're in charge of people, you bully them around. Not just tell them what to do and maybe be stern with them. No, 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 you bully them. Or you're at home and you bully your wife. Men. You mightn't abuse her physically, but you bully her. God doesn't like it. Hates it. Hates it. It's not his character or nature. And you can't have a delightful relationship with him. And if you don't have a delightful relationship, I can assure you, you'll have a poor, miserable life. You look like that bottom dog in his eyes. While you're thinking, you look like that top dog. Dangerous place to be. But the word of God allows us to change. The Word of God allows those thoughts in me to be changed because the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and He places it in my heart as I read it. And it changes me, little by little. Sometimes, whoo, lots. It can change you in an instant. And there's times in the Bible when it talks about God changing things from night to day, overnight, in an instant. But it also talks about it precept upon precept, line upon line, bit by bit. And so don't expect to read the word 
and all your problems to go away. Tomorrow. They won't. I've got to read the word and let God change me inside. And as I let him change me inside, and the Holy Spirit will work. And he only brings about that change. The same thing is I can't increase my height by no matter how much I think. I can increase my width. So I eat a bit. No problem. But I, none of you can increase your height. Woman, try it in high heels. But you can't, you can't increase your height. You know what? I can go to all the worldly courses on how I'm going to change my life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I might curb if I'm given to gluttony. I might curb my eating. But I haven't changed my motive. What changes our motive? It's the spiritual side. It's the word of God and the Holy Spirit changing my motive. Peter was talking about giving. I give. And I can give out of duty. I can give. 10% of my, I just put it in a bank account. It just goes out. But what's my heart attitude? See, he says, I look upon, and he, what's he, what's he, what does God welcome at, his, at the table? He wants the de- delightful giving. And he doesn't want the dutiful giving. Give it back. I don't want it, says the Lord. Same as your child runs in, as I gave that example before. Give me a hug. Oh. I'm going to force them to give me a hug. I don't want their hug. I want them to run in and say, yes, I'll give you a hug. Put their arms around you. That's what we respond to. He can force us to give. He doesn't want you to force you to give. He doesn't want you to give dutifully. Take it away. He wants it from a giving heart with joyous giving. God's about delight. He's about delight. There's one more thing I think I want to say. Maybe I don't. <laughs> I want to read you a couple of scriptures about delight, and we'll finish on that. But to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. That's the Lord saying. To the saints in the earth, to the excellent, those that have laid down in their lives the precepts and let them change their life. That's whose delight is in. And then there's heaps the other way. The psalmist saying, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. How did his law get within his heart? By meditating on it day and light and letting the Holy Spirit come and place it in his heart and letting it to flourish in his heart. Let thy tender mercies come into me that I may live, for thy law is my delight. And you see, one of the things I want, the last thing I did want to say is, so that's okay, it all sounds good. But I'm over here and I'm sort of, okay, if God sees me as miserable, I am a miserable dog. What do I do about it? And the first thing is to do is to cry out to God, help me. It's a prayer. But God does not want a long, long, long long-winded prayer. If I'm in a marriage and my marriage is only so-so, in fact, we don't even talk to each other too much. We do, because we have to. We live in the same house. But if you actually tracked our voices and our tones and everything, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to poster it publicly anywhere. It would sound a very dry relationship or a strained relationship. If it's like that, where I was going with that, I'll come back to 
Uh, and it was like that. What do I do? God says, cry out, cry out to me. How do I cry out to God? Lord, help me. I mean it. If I mean it, that's all I got to say. I don't have to describe my relationship. I don't have to describe anything else about it. Or I'm a young man. And sexual sin has come into my life. Be it pornography. Be it something wrong with another young woman. Wrong relationship. Be it whatever. How do I get out of that? Cry out to God. Lord, help me. That's the first step. Without that, you go nowhere. But the second step, relationship with the Word. Pick up the Word of God and let the Word of let the Holy Spirit, as you read it, take it, make it alive, make it real, and plant it in your heart. He'll do that. You've only got to open the Word. You've only got to seek. Say, Lord, help me. You might even start seeking like this. Lord, where is it? Let's say it's anger. I am angry. I get angry when my food's not on the table. And I was talking about that this morning. I don't, but I could. We're talking. I was talking to somebody in the congregation who was working with some men on marriages. And I said, yeah, well, I get angry too if my food's not on the table and my clothes aren't washed. I was joking. But we could easily be like that. I was joking because people are like that. So I might search the Bible for anger. Find it. Read it. And then let the Holy Spirit take it and place it in my heart of how God, and he'll change me. As long as I've cried out earnestly, Lord, help me, I do want to change. He'll change me. When I got saved, I used to swear. Lots. Every sentence. I don't know why I got that way. I was 30 years old. I'd worked in forestry. I'd been around lots of swearing. No problem. I got saved and I cried out to the Lord, Lord, help me. And you know what? Within a week, it had gone. My, my, the words that came out changed. Every now and then one came out that wasn't supposed to. So I wasn't a saint, 100%. But I was changed. I was radically changed in regard to that. It was only a couple of times later when I hammered my finger or something with my little daughter beside me and a word came out and she said, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? Way down there, it only comes out when you get really hurt. Uh, <laughs> cry out to God and then seek. And seeking is not overnight. Hey, answer me straight away, Lord. I want a McDonald's burger and I want it now. No. God says, seek for me and you shall find me. If you search with me with all your heart. And that goes back to the thing I said before. God doesn't stand on a mountain every day, every year and say, this is me. Have a look at me. Have a good look, everybody. He wants you to search with all your heart and then you'll see him. And then that what you see will go into your heart and you will be changed. And that's our God. I just want to, sitting there in the scripture, I just want to read one more thing when we finish. This from Hebrews. It says, God, who in sundry times and in different manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And saying there, God spoke unto, in the past, he got back before 
Jesus Christ. He spoke through the prophets. But he has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he has made the worlds, who, being in the brightness of his glory, so the Son being in the brightness of the glory of the Father, and the express image of his person, the express image of God, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by, when he had by himself purged our sin, when Jesus Christ had by himself purged our sin, he went to the cross and he rubbed our sin out, purged it. Purged means if you're sick and they give you something and it flushes right through you and it cleans you right out, you no longer have that bacteria inside. It's gone. You're purged. He sat down on the right hand of God the Father on high. That's what Christ has done for us. And we find him. We find him when we seek with him in his word. Hallelujah. So as we play these, as we play these scriptures, uh, play, play the next song, and I'd like you to sing that God of Miracles one if you could. Just sing it quietly. But as we sing that one, I want you to ask in your heart, do I have a delightful relationship? And you know, this sounds funny because you say, oh, if I go forward, everybody think, oh, I haven't got a delightful relationship and they'll be looking at me. No, don't, don't think like that. If you want to, just come forward for prayer. Be it for whatever. Come forward. Come forward and, and receive prayer. Because prayer strengthens. I was talking to, it was actually Peter at the men's breakfast. Why did Jesus go into the Garden of Gethsemane? Now, he's coming to the most important part of human history. This is the part where he's going to be grabbed and taken to the cross. For without that, human history is dog meat. He's coming to that. And yet he takes his disciples with him and he keeps coming out to them and says, come on, pray with me. They <laughs> sleep. Comes back. You slept. Come and pray with me. Wake up. Pray. They sleep. But why was he wanting them to pray with him? Because one put 1,000 to flight and two put 10,000 to flight. And Jesus as a man needed prayer with him. He wanted somebody to pray with him. So if you come forward, sure, somebody here is praying with you. And what's that doing? Two can put 10,000 to flight. Or you can go home and just pray in your own closet by yourself. And one can put 1,000 to flight. So the offer is made this morning. Come forward. Because you'll see a greater change than if you just go home and pray by yourself. Because two are better than one. And that's biblical, that's truth. So as we pray, as we sing, just sing this song. Start singing. I just open up, I just say, listen, come forward, prayer. I'd love to pray with you.